And let's stand all over the house this morning. Welcome to church this morning. We're so honored to have you. Let's sing an old hymn of the church in the suite forever.
are you thankful for that day, church? Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. We're going to this time ask the ushers if they would make their way this morning to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Father, Lord, we just come before your presence this moment. Father, we pray that every song that is sung, message that is given, scripture that is read, Lord, will be for the upbuilding and the advancement of the kingdom. And God, as we get ready to partake in another form of worship, that's giving back to you to show how much you have been so good to us. God, I pray you would bless the gift and the giver. Lord, if there's someone here today who cannot give for whatever the reason may be, Father, I pray today that you would bless them so they can give back unto you. Father, I pray today that you would take every tithe and offering that is collected today and let it advance the kingdom of God. God, so that we can make a difference to reaching souls for Jesus. Father, I pray today, God, that everything that we do, God, would bring you glory and honor and praise. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people together said amen. And then will you come at this time and bring your tithes unto the Lord. Good morning. It looks like a rowdy crowd this morning. Love the Lord. It's supposed to be. That's right. We're supposed to praise the Lord. The, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> told my Sunday school class this morning that in John, he talks about he knows God's real. He knows Jesus was real. And how did he know that? Okay, somebody in my class answered that question. How did he know that? Proof. What was the proof? Saw him. He was there. He touched him. Remember something? Was, I was talking about the song. I was there when it happened. I guess I ought to know. That was, it was a song that I remember from my youth. And that we should remember that. Well, if we know it to be true in our heart, then we need to be praising God for everything he does for us. And lifting him up because when he answers prayer for us, other people see it. When we get lifted up inside... Other people see it. When we love one another and pray for one another, other people see it. 
So in Psalms 138, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respected unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth the far off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thou shalt right hand shalt save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thy own hands. What are the works of his own hands? That's me. That's you. Reform. We got to believe it. If you don't believe it, don't pray because you're wasting your breath. You got to believe it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name for the answers that you give us, Lord. But we thank you for the salvation that you give, for your son that sacrificed himself for us, Lord, that you allowed to come down here and shed his blood for our salvation. Lord, we thank you and praise you for everything that you have done for us, for the, the words that you have given to us, Lord, for lifting up our hearts. Lord, we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you will touch each of these we've mentioned and those we haven't mentioned that need a touch from you this morning, Lord. I don't remember them all. I'm terrible about remembering names, but Lord, I pray that you will touch them, reach out, and lift them up and strengthen them this morning. Lord, I pray that you will continue to abide with each of us and touch us. Be with our pastor this morning. He delivers the message that he will say the words that we can use, Lord, to take forward this week to spread thy glory. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen. This time would you worship with Brother Jimmy as he comes to sing today. Yeah. 
today. Let's join back in worship.
just, we just want to be with you. We just want to be with you. Oh, King of glory. King of glory. Fill Oh, we just want to be. Just wanna be with you. Just wanna be with you. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer today. That we can just be with you. That's why we come to church. That's why we gather together and worship as the family of God, because ultimately our goal is to be with you. Lord, we can gather together and hang out in other places. But God, at the end of the day, there's nothing like your glorious presence. And so, Father, I pray today that the songs of Zion that have been ushered up into this house today have, God, in some way, shape, or form, been encouraging. But God has ushered in your spirit in this house to come make residency with us in this place. Father, I pray today that for every man, woman, boy, or girl that's under the sound of my voice, in-house or online today, God, that they would hear a word from heaven whether it was through a song, whether it's through a message, whether it's a series, if you will, uh, that we've been on called Sealed, and we have been on this journey together, and we're going to continue uh, with part two of a message that I started last week. And we're going to begin reading in verse number five of this particular passage of Scripture, Revelation 6 and 5. We'll read down to verse number eight, should time permit. Let me say, to continue, I, I know they already mentioned Sister Brenda Frierson, Sister Loretta, who was in need of touch, um, and Brother James and Brother Henry, but I also want to make sure we continue to remember Brother Barnes in your thoughts and prayers as he's still struggling with some sciatic uh, and some um, stenosis of the spine uh, that's got him pretty much debilitated at this point. And also Sister Joanne, who's got some procedures coming up, that's why she hasn't been in church trying to avoid catching anything. Um, and Sister Glenda King's sister Helen reached or some translations will say an ashen horse. It's very sickly looking. And on the rider of him was one called Death. But there was another rider right behind him. This is the only rider of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is the only rider that had two riders. The rest of them had a singular rider. This one was Death. But accompanying him was Hades that followed and power was given to them over one-fourth of the earth. A quarter of the earth. To do what? To kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. I want to talk to you on part two. We started last week, part one, and I'm going to pick up part two today of a message entitled Seals of Fate. Seals of Fate. Eternal Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach your word. Not because of me, but because of you. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary that my sight is not what they see, but it's Christ Jesus living in me that they see today. Take a coal from the altar of heaven and anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare your words, not my opinion. My opinions mean nothing. Your word means everything. And I pray today that somebody's life would be changed by the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God that calls us to be sal that leads us to salvation. So God, today I'm praying today that your word would accomplish its task, which I know it was sent to do. 
We ask that you would help us not only be hearers of the word, but doers thereof likewise. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people together said amen. amen. You may be seated if you can in this place today. I had surgery Friday and uh, a little bit of a panic. But uh, I wanted this church to know that I've never been to a church that everybody treats you like a family. Last Sunday, Primo and his wife got on to me because I was driving myself to surgery and going to drive myself home the next day. And because uh, my daughter couldn't do it this time because of her job. And um, then Wednesday night, Miss Sandy got on to me and said, you can't do these things by yourself. And um, I told her that the only person I needed to be there with would already be there ahead of me. But then Friday, I wasn't expecting him, but the pastor showed up to pray for me before I went into surgery. He didn't have to. He could have just called me like he said he thought about doing but he drove all the way down to Somerville Medical to be with me. And he said, we can't brag on, we can't brag on ourselves, but I believe we can brag on our pastors. And we have one that is a loving, kind, true pastor. And I believe we owe a lot to him. And all that God does for us. Thank you, Pastor. You know the story, the um, <clears throat> first time I met Brother James, and we're going to jump back in the word, the first time I met Brother James when I saw him, I thought Jesus came to church with us. We were the only church that had Jesus, and it, because when he walked through the door that first Sunday, I thought, I better hope that I heard from the Lord. The Lord showed up to church to hear me say what he had to say, so, and, uh, and I thank the Lord that our version of Jesus is, uh, and Brother James, is, uh, as I pick with him sometimes, such a big part of our family, he's had some health issues, and we're hoping this last Procedure will take care of some of that, but uh, let me say, while I appreciate uh, the accolades that was that was given, um, a man is only as good as 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 those that he surrounds himself with. And uh, I would say this: I would say this if I was in Cleveland. I would say this if I was in in um, in Malden. Uh, I'm sure there are other pastors that would say their churches are the best. And you know, if a frog won't croak in his own pond, what good of a frog is he? And uh, I don't tell you what I've been to a lot of churches. Um, but this church uh, goes above and beyond in benevolence and goes above and beyond in, in care and, and caretaking. Sister Ann and Sister Patricia and Sister Tina and others that are behind the scenes a lot of times with the benevolent ministry and things like that and, and others of you as well, that, uh, time would not permit. Um, we are a blessed people. We may not be the largest church in the state, but we are the most loving church in the state, I can guarantee you. And that's all because Jesus Christ is a part of this body. And so um, I do believe God's got great things in store for us. And, uh, and I appreciate you letting me have the humble privilege of being just a part of the journey with you until uh, God calls us home. And so I appreciate that today. When I talked to you last week about this idea of the seals of fate, I, I want to I set the precedence this morning very quickly and very early on that a job, a role of a pastor and a preacher and a teacher or a 
evangelist or whatever it is. Sometimes it is to make you feel really good about your life. You know, God's got you. God's merciful. God's gracious. God's loving. Those are great. Sometimes, especially in the role of a shepherd, and obviously Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd, but, but we are serving as under-shepherds. Sometimes God sends us messages to wake us up. They're not going to make us feel good, but they're going to shake us up and wake us up a little bit to say, hey, pay attention to what's going on around you so you don't find yourself in worse trouble down the road. And I, I want to caution you today that you're not going to leave here today feeling like, man, the pastor made me feel real good about my life today. But I would tell you with, with, with heaviness of heart, but also with a passion for Jesus Christ and His Word, I'm not going to let you die and go to hell and not know any different in the process. If you go to hell, it's because you chose it, not because you didn't know. And I want to set it up from the precedence that way, that I want to let you know, I don't know what you walked in here with today. You could have walked in here with depression. You could have walked up in here with financial turmoil. You could have walked up in here with oppression. You could have walked up in here in sickness and body. You could have walked up in here feeling like you don't even know why you pulled in the parking lot. I want to let you know today that God is here, so you're here for a reason. And it doesn't matter what the seals of fate the enemy tells you. God has a different seal for your life. But you have to choose which one. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. You have to make that choice. The third and fourth seal that we see today are the next two riders. We've already focused on the first two riders. The white and the red horse. But today we find that there are two more horsemen. One that rides a black horse. And one that rides a pale horse. That word pale or ashen in the Greek comes from a word in the Greek called kolos. That kolos literally means a yellowish green or a sickly walking dead type color. Meaning it almost looked like if somebody walking here and you'd already say, man it looks like death combed over. They, they're already looking like death. Maybe a jaundice color would be a close resemblance that you could attribute it. But it, it, this pale horse was not a pretty sight. It wasn't a one you just love to look upon. There have been many people that have asked over the years, where is the United States during the end of time? And since it's the world's greatest superpower, well, while the tribulation will certainly, the great tribulation will certainly be worldwide, the epicenter of it will in fact center on the Middle East around Israel. In fact, unfortunately, I hate to tell you, the United States is not mentioned at all in history of the end of time. When the believers of Christ are called away, or what we call raptured, and we are in the presence of God, we, have, we who have been serving as salt, preservative, and light, illumination to the world, will now be missing. So now the world will be at the disposal of evil forces for total control. Evil will have little resistance. Evil will know no bounds. It certainly will be a time of great distress and turmoil on the earth. It will be a time where there's no limitations to what the enemy and evil can do. I want to tell you today before I get any further. You think it's bad now. You don't even know what bad is. Because as of right now we still have the providential hand and the mercy and grace of God over our communities and over our lives. And though it may be bad, if it wasn't for the Lord on our side, it would be a whole lot worse than it is today. God has absolutely showed His grace and His mercy on our behalf. You see, 
The question begs to be asked, well, pastor, you said that we are a pre-tribulational church. We'll be out of here before all this happens. That is true. So the question begs to be asked, what do these writers teach us not only about the future of humanity, but the spiritual implications of God's church today? Because I believe God doesn't put things in His Word because they're just filling up space, but it's for a specific purpose in His Word. You have to understand, the first thing I want to point out to you is that the black horse... That is often, people say, black is synonymous with death. Someone passes away, we all dress in dark colors. However, in this passage, the black horse represents a time of great starvation and famine resulting from war against God's kingdom and the forces of evil. Starvation. During this great tribulational period, not only will the emergence of the Antichrist take place, but after a great war, famine will appear and the globe will be wretched with hunger Due to the inability to find food. It will make that which looked like turmoil in Egypt during the reign of Joseph look like nothing. If you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph said there's seven years of plenty. But old great Pharaoh, they'll come after seven years of plenty. They'll come seven years of terrible drought and famine. And people will have to buy all over the world. They'll have to come here. We better store up. During the years of plenty, we better store up because there'll be years that it won't be plenty and we'll be living off of what we've prepared for in the past. Can I tell you, I want to stop just here for a moment, but the Bible tells me that when I pray for my wife and when I pray for my child and I pray for my future children and I pray for others, I am storing up my prayers and vials of heaven because there may come a day I may leave this life and be in the presence of the Lord. But Micah will still be here or Brianna may still be here or our future children may still be here. And when evil is wrecking its sand, there may be a time of famine and hearing the words of the Lord. But there'll be prayers that have been stored up so the Josephs of my life can go back to the storehouse. They can pick up Daddy's wretched Bible and they can go back to the storehouse and say if God was good for my father and God was good for my grandfather if he's the God of Abraham and Isaac he'll be the God of Jacob and Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh if God was good for me then he'll be good for them now famine hunger thirsting there'll be a scarcity of food the resources scarcity of food and resources are often a byproduct of increased prices and price hikes and there was not nearly enough food to cover one day because if you had to buy one day's worth of groceries, the Bible said it would cost you one day's worth of salary. Imagine that. Let's say you get paid $20 an hour. You work eight hours. That day. You do the math. What you made that day. There's, the Bible said there will come a point that it would cost you an entire day's salary to just be able to get one day worth of groceries. That ain't paying the rest of the bills. That's just to be able to eat that day. Price hikes. Inflation. Verse 6 reveals to us that a quart of wheat as well as three quarts of barley which was about one day's worth of supply cost the denarius which was the equivalent of the Roman it's one day's work of wages. It was, a, it was a Roman silver coin that was equivalent to a full day payment of work. Jesus told stories about this. He said, hey, there was a guy that hired a servant early in the morning. He said, will you work my field for, for, for a denarius? He said, sure. He hired a guy in the middle of the day. He said, will you work my field for a denarius? The guy said, sure. 
He hired a guy about one hour before it was knockoff time and says, will you finish out the last hour and help us out? I'll give you a full day's work. He said, sure. The first guy got mad and said, hey, I've been out here eight hours. I've been plowing fields. I've been plod, uh, prodding donkeys. I've been, I've been sweating all day. This guy showed up one hour before knockoff time. He works with the union, doesn't he? It's not in the Bible, but you, some of you that's worked for union, you'll know what that means. Eh, I don't think I want that job today. I'll pick that one tomorrow. He said, how did he get the same price? The master of the house said, but did you not agree to work? No matter what it was for one day's worth of wages. Can I tell you, there'll be some of us that have been plowing the field grounds of God's uh, fertile soil of hearts of men for 30 years and 40 years. There's some of you that will die and you'll go to heaven and you will have served God for 60 or 70 years and you'll have served God longer than I may even live. you served the Lord. But there'll be somebody on their deathbed like a thief on the cross that at the very last second with his fleeting breath says, God, forgive me, I am a sinner. Can I tell you that you can serve God for 70 years or today you may have never served God a day in your life but today is the day of salvation and it doesn't matter how long you've done it. God is the God for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house today there's probably people that have served God over 30 or 40 or 50 years but if one person today got saved there's no reason for us 40 year veterans and 50 year veterans get mad we should celebrate that one more person has come into the family of God there's a famine you see the price of food would be about 10 to 12 times higher due to inflation even today, we know the effects of inflation, and we haven't even seen it go ten times. But even the price hikes we see today, we know what inflation does to the body. We know what inflation does to our paychecks and our retirement pensions. Inflation is not fun. It's not enjoyable. It affects everyday living. In the last year and a half, building materials has went up 13%. 13%. Just to buy some, some plywood and some nails. What you used to could build for, for fractions of the dollars now costs you mortgage and a kidney just to be able to pay for a bathroom remodel. All you want is a walk-in shower and you got to sell off the farm to children and asking you borrow the other neighbor's kids to be able to get a new bathroom. Prices right now are remain 27% higher than the 2019 mark of materials. 27% higher. It was up to 30-something and it's slightly decreased, but we're still 27% higher, 22.7% higher than we were in 2019. Understanding these staggering statistics, we can see how everyone will suffer, but it seems like at the end of time, we see that the wealthy will be able to sustain because they have the resources to do so. Notice what the voice said, though. The voice said, when he's out there and he says there's a hunger and he has this balance, the Bible talks about that he was holding a pair of scales in his hand. He says that the barley and the wheat would cost a day's worth of wages, but don't miss the last line. But do not harm. The oil and the wine. Gil 4 and 16, that men would eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair. Ezekiel 4 and 16. That plays into the, the role of the Antichrist. 
Revelation 13 and 17 says, No man may buy or sell except the one who has the mark and the name of the beast and the number of his name. You won't even be able to buy it. Even if you had the money, you won't be able to afford it. The beast will control world hunger. Folks will go to extreme measures to get food. Men and nations will do unusual things and unplanned things to just get basic necessities. Hunger is the basic need for motivate and motivating factor for life and creation. Many years ago in Monterey, California, there was a, which is a coastal town, there was a, 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 an area that they called the Pelican Paradise. As fishermen would begin to clean their fish off of the coast of Monterey, these pelicans would, would fly in and the, the, the fishermen being nice, they would throw the innards of the fish, if you will, out towards the pelicans. And, and over time, these birds grew very fat and lazy and contented because the fishermen, they knew every morning, just come out there and there'd be a fisherman that would throw them some innards of a fish. Eventually, though, the government stepped in and the innards were used for other things. They decided they were going to repurpose them, use them for other things. They couldn't be thrown out, waste management, all this stuff. So they no longer could be snacks for the pelicans. When the change came, the pelicans no longer fought for an effort to go fishing for themselves. They would just fly around and wait on the boardwalks and steal french fries and burgers and trash because they had lost the ability to fish for themselves because they had been fed by the hand of another. I wonder how many of us have grown fat and lazy as spiritual believers because we've always waited for somebody else to do it for us instead of doing it for ourselves. I wonder... I wonder if we thought to ourselves driving to church this morning, well, I'm sure somebody will be a greeter at the front door, but that's not for me. I'm sure someone will handle the children's ministry today, but that's not for me. I'm sure someone will clean the bathrooms this week, but that's not for me. I'm sure someone will help in the kitchen, but that's not for me. But we come to church expecting God to spread out a buffet table before us and be spoon-fed in His presence. To then go home the rest of the week and be fat and lazy away from his presence. The problem was, the way that Monterey fixed this problem is they started importing new pelicans from other regions of the world that knew how to fish. That had not been accustomed to this lifestyle. And what happened, shockingly enough, that when these new imported pelicans started going out into the water and fishing, the old season, fat and happy ones realized, we're going to starve to death. So you know what them old, fat, lazy, old, gray-headed pelicans decided to do with the young whippersnappers? Fish. Because the young guys weren't bringing the fish to them. They were eating them. And they thought, this ain't working out for us. So the old, gray-headed, you know, pelicans started flying out there doing the same thing. That is why I think it's a firm, I am a firm believer. Yeah, you don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. You don't get rid of the... the White-headed, the gray-headed, because it's a crown of glory and sign of wisdom. I don't believe you, you, you throw everybody out. But there's something to be said about having youth and young people within the church because when the older folks get tired of doing it, you've got to have another generation that's willing to do it. Because if everybody had the mentality, well, I'm just not going to do it, then we wouldn't get nothing done around here. But the reality, what will keep a church from starving out and, 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 and facing spiritual famine is when we learn how to go fishing together. When, when the old dog learns new tricks. 
He learns how to do things he never done before, but all these young whippersnappers can learn how to, hey, don't go over there because you're going to get your behind handed to you because we've been in that yard before. they got a bigger dog than us, and they'll take us out. There's something to be said about wisdom as well as energy and youth and vitality. Starvation as a means of genocide in the 21st century is not a far-fetched theory. It's reality. There are countries, like certain countries in Africa, that use uh, politicalization for food distribution. You just can't get food. You have to go through the government to get your rational food. In the past, nations have strived to create government dependency on its own citizens. You come to us, and we'll give you the disbursement of food. We see all the photos and the heart-wrenching ads on television of starving kids. That will be like nothing compared to the end of times. You think it grips your heart now, you wait till the whole world's having to do that. There's one ancient, ancient African proverb that says, when elephants battle, ants get trampled. There'll come a point in time, people won't care about what it affects you as long as they get what they want. They'll trample over you if it means getting an ends to a mean, mean to an ends. The second horse, the, the pale horse, the first horse represented the famine. The second horse represented fatality. When this horse comes riding up, it's over. There's no going back. In fact, this ain't a horse that's coming that you can make rational, you know, rational with, you know, reason with and say, you know, well, let's talk about this. No, no. The fourth rider, he's coming and he's stopping the thing right off. I mean, he's, it's over. The first three horses had one rider. This one had two riders, Death and Hades. They are mentioned three times in the book of Revelation. In chapter 1, verse 18, it is mentioned as the keys to death and Hades. In chapter 20 and verse 14, it is mentioned as casting both death and Hades into the lake of fire or what we would term as hell. In chapter 20, verse 13, we get a little more information and description. They will be judged one day following the tribulation. They'll be judged according to their works. They will be found guilty and, and, and sentenced to eternal damnation. After a brief time of peace, which preceded war, came famine, and after famine came death and Hades. These are two villains armed with four weapons. A sword, hunger, famine, pestilence, plagues, and wild beasts. These agents have been given one quarter of the earth to their disposal, a fourth of the population. Some of this, some theologians believe this could be tied to northern Africa and all of Europe, including Russia, based on the prophecies of Daniel chapter 7, where the primary area of the Antichrist will be. However, there's another group of theologians that believe it's directly connected to one-fourth of the entire world population. Could you imagine if there's 8 billion people on this world what, one-fourth of the population would be murdered or killed in a one swoop? 25% of them gone, just like that. Regardless of whether it's a, a specific location or connection to population, the effects and devastation are all the same. Loss of life will be felt, and it will affect the entire world. Ezekiel 14 and 21 says, For thus says the Lord, How much more shall I, how much more, it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on the earth, the sword, the famine, the wild beast, and pestilence to cut off man from beast. God prophesied this thing was coming. He prophesied it in Ezekiel. I'm going to send it. It's going to happen. 
We all have seen the effects of war. Just go back and study. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Just study. War is brutal. It's gross. It's, it's grotesque. It's deadly. We, we know the effects of famine. We've seen starving kids, starving people. But we also know the effects of pestilence and plagues. Oh, we recently saw the effects of pestilence and plagues all too well in our face. Pestilence actually is another word that can be synonymous with the word epidemic. Anybody heard of that word? An epidemic is, by Webster Dictionary, is this. An outbreak of a disease that spreads quickly and affects many individuals at the same time. Anybody heard of a disease like that anytime soon? Anybody ever heard of a word called COVID? We call that an epidemic. Affected everybody, real quick, same time, boom, across the world. It was proven that the entire world could be affected by one mutated disease. All the way from China to India to Russia. The entire world was at a standstill for years, for a couple years, at this dreaded word. Oh, it'll never touch the United States. Oh, but it did, church. It showed up on our doorstep. We've seen epidemics like this in the past. Millions of people starving and suffering. Things like AIDS and HIV. Since the founding and the inception of HIV, more than 85 million people have been affected by AIDS and more than 40 have been affected by HIV and more than 40 million have died from AIDS. The incubation period can be from 6 months to 10 years. Many are affected and don't know it. But there's no cure. And at a certain point, the life expectancy is within about three years. Most recently, we were introduced to COVID and its various family members. Delta, Omicron. You know, we have all these different versions and names and first cousins and second cousins that mutated off of COVID. Now we face what we call the flu. Everybody now seems to be flu A or B. Pick one. Pick which letter of the alphabet you want to be and hope you get the right one. FYI, don't get A. Try to stay with B. Just, just works out better for you sometimes. But the reality of it is we face it. It affects everybody. The Bible said diseases will not only be spread by humans but by animals. Scientists tell us that rats carry as many as 35 known diseases. One rat bite can affect you with 35 different diseases. One rat. We know that there is disease-resistant microorganisms spread by birds and animals which are shipped or migrated from country to country. Anybody ever heard of bird flu? Didn't come from the humans. Came from the birds, y'all. Swine flu? We got animal names for all this stuff now. H1N1. The reality of it is, even animals can carry out this plan. There will be attack of animals. Since we know that about 25% of loss of life will happen in the Great Tribulation. You say, well, Pastor, you told me that there's a famine. You told me there's fatality. What has that got to do? We're the church of the living God. We're going to get out of here. We're going to heaven. We, what's our problem? Well, the problem is that's your fate if you don't know Jesus. But I want to tell you that we already see the precursors of all of those right now. Here's where you're not going to like me, but that's okay. 
Because I have to go this afternoon. I'm getting out, out of church and driving off this property. And you won't see me till 6 p.m. If you come back. While the fate of the world during the tribulation is seen by the revelation of John in this passage. I would admonish us to pay close attention to what it really is saying to us today. Though we may not actually be here when the tribulational seals are broken, the underlying message and meaning can still be useful for the modern church. I still believe as the church goes, so does the country. Not the other way around. Right now, it's how the country goes seems to be how the church goes. I'm telling you, when the church gets it right, God will help us get the country right. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And I believe Scripture validates that. When the church fails to be what we are called to be, the nations of the world suffer and ultimately the future of the church. I want to point your attention very quickly to one of the seven churches in Revelation, one by the name of Laodicea. They were equated as an, op- as a, as an apostate church. That word apostate literally means to abandon or to renounce beliefs. Can I tell you, we are living in a day and an hour where many women will stand behind sacred lecterns and they will try to rationalize and compromise and make this belief, this book fit your life rather than your life match this book. That's called an apostate church. You are living in an, in an apostate mentality. There are churches gathering together that will condone sin, promote sin, give leadership to sin. That's an apostate church. There are men and women, I'm, listen, I believe anybody, every man, woman, boy, girl, sinner, saint alike can come to church, but you can't reward sinful behavior and put it in holy places. There are certain things that have to stay, be ye holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. What happens is that we live in a day and hour where churches and church life is not what it used to be. I'm not talking about suits and ties. I'm not talking about lights and chandeliers versus LED lights and, and darkened stages. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the heart of men and women. You can go to church and you can live any old way and not feel conviction because God's not there anymore. And nobody realizes Ichabod's been written over the door. You can be a sinner and walk to church and feel just as good at church as you were before you got to church with no change of life. You see... Some may say, well, Pastor, that will never happen. We'll never experience that. Oh, I beg to differ to all those self-righteous Peter characters that are saying, oh, it won't happen to me. Let me caution you. We're already there. There are people that have traded the cross for convenience, the pulpit for propaganda, the reverence for relevancy, and the list just keeps going on and on and on. Just as the end of time reveals there will be a global famine throughout the world, I surmise we already are living in a famine as society today. How do you say so, preacher? In Amos chapter 8, verse 11 through 12, And behold, says the Lord, declares the Lord, The days are coming when I will send not a famine on the land, but it will not be a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, from north to south, east and west. They'll go to and fro, seeking a word from the Lord, and not... Find it. I love how the message Bible says it. Oh yes, judgment is coming. These are the words of the Lord. I will send a famine through the whole country. It won't be food or water that's lacking. But it will be my word. People will drift from one end of the country to the other. From Rome, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They'll go anywhere, listen to anyone, hoping to hear something from God and find out he's not talking. That's good preaching if you're not Church of God today. 
We're living in a day and an hour. Nobody wants you to preach this because it counteracts their life. They don't want you to tell them they're going to hell. They don't want you to tell them there's a sin in their life and there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shut. They don't want you to tell them they need to come to know Jesus Christ and the full pardoning and remission of their sins. They don't want you to tell them you've got to come out of darkness and be separated, says the Lord, and walk in light. They don't want that because they're comfortable in their sin. But I'm telling you, they'll have a fate too. They'll, that famine I talked about and that fatality I talked about, it's appointed to every man to die. All of us are going to die and face judgment. Every one of us. Every one of us. We are living in a world where people will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they'll have itching ears and will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and listen to fables and lies. Notice, and I'm almost done. Notice the words of the Lord. Everything is good. You're going to die. Death and Hades are coming for you. For those that don't know Jesus, death and Hades are coming for you. They're coming for you. They're taking you to hell. They're taking you with them. They're coming for your life. Death and Hades are taking you out. Famine is coming. But notice the last line. But you cannot harm the oil and the wine. I surmise that while some theologians say that has to do talking about the disparity from rich and poor and the inadequacies of man and the injustice of man. I surmise though the Bible tells me that the Holy Ghost is attributed as oil and wine. You can harm the body, but you can't harm the spirit. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You can put me in a box and bury my bones wherever you want to, but you call Shelly at Dalmar and put me anywhere. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You can put me through the ringer. You can put me in jail. You can put me in stocks and bonds. You can decapitate me. You can, you know, you can fillet me alive like some of the early apostles. You can take my life, but you can't take Jesus out of my life. You can take my physical man, but you can't take where I'm going with my spirit man. And the reality of it is, he said, you can't harm the oil and the wine. The Bible tells us, you'll see in the Mosaic Tabernacle in a couple weeks, that the oil represents that ever-burning presence, the oil that was used to, to keep the lamp burning. It is a symbolism of the Holy Spirit of God, the wine. We know Jesus said you can't put old wine, new wine in old wine skins. And, and we know that. I'm telling you that the devil can try to take your money. He can try to take your career. He can try to take your family. He can try to take your job. He can try to take your kids. He can try to take your grandkids. He can try to take your church. He can try to take every. He can try to take your life. But I'm telling you one thing he cannot take. He cannot take Jesus Christ out of your life. He can try everything he wants to. But everything I've committed to the Lord. It's in the palm of his hand. There's no demon in hell. There's no power of hell. That can stop the spirit of almighty God. God in my life nothing can stop him nothing you say well it's easy Miss Carol as you come it's easy for us to say well, let's just have revival revive that which is lifeless revivals have had their place don't get me wrong I'm not interested in just having a series of meetings I'm interested in having divine moments with God consistently I don't think you should have to bring it. No, 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 listen to me. I'm not knocking revivals. I've had them before. Probably I'll have them again. I don't think you've got to bring in some keynote speaker. For five nights, four nights a week, on a week, 
That's the answer. I'm not saying you can't have good services. I'm not knocking that. Why can't Sunday morning God show up without a guest speaker? Why can't on Sunday night God show up without a guest speaker? Why can't on Wednesday night in Bible study God show up without a guest of honor? Why, why can't God be the guest of honor? I'm not knocking bringing guest speakers in, but you know what? God's a whole lot cheaper than the evangelist these days. He doesn't require a pre, pre uh, you know, send, send us money ahead of time. He doesn't make us sign a contract. So what I'm telling you is this. There will be a famine at the end of time. There's a famine today of the Word of God in this world. Oh, death and Hades will take the life of many at the end of time. But every day people are dying at an alarming rate in this earth right now. It's a point that a man wants to die. Right now, somebody, they say about, the average is about every three seconds someone is dying. So you just take how long you've been in church, how many people have died in this moment. What if the next three seconds was your turn? What if you leave this property today to go eat lunch at Slim Chicken, but before you could get back at 6 p.m. tonight, you met Jesus? Were you ready? Are you ready to have a conversation with him? Are you ready to look him eyeball to eyeball and say, I was waiting on you, God, to come get me. I was waiting on you, Lord. I've been waiting, I've been waiting. Oh, would you have to go? Oh, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared for this moment. We're all going to face fatality. That's why this last point is fate. We all know that there's a famine in the world. Come on, somebody. I'll be honest with you. I think there's more sinners in the church than there are in the world sometimes. Hello, preacher. The only difference is that the church people hide their sin. The world at least makes you know they have sin in their life. God's not interested in sharing his, his glory with others. God's not interested in you being married to him on Sunday but having adultery on Monday through Saturday with the enemy. God's not interested in having a, 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 a bride that is unfaithful. He's asking for one without spot and blemish, not unfaithful. Every one of us in this room will stand before God one day. We all are going to see God face to face one day. You are going to answer, who do you say that I am to God? I admonish you today that while the famine and the fatality of Revelation describes an end of time, I admonish you today to pay close attention. We're living in a day where there is a famine. Not every church is preaching Jesus, church. They, they preach a form of godliness, but it's only a form of it. It's not the complete thing. It's just a form of it. They tell you what you want to hear, make you feel good, make you pat you on the back, say, good job, see you next week. Don't forget to pay your tithes on the back door, though. God bless you. But they ain't teaching you the hard truths of God's Word. There are people dying at an alarming rate right now under the sound of my voice. May or may not know Jesus. But you're here today, and you have a shot at getting it right. You say, Pastor, I'm good with God. Well, praise the Lord. I bet you not everybody in your family is, though. I bet that. I bet you there's not one person in this room can truthfully say, everybody in my family is going to heaven. Glory to God. We're all going. We're just a saved family. Your husband and wife might be saved. What about your children? What about your grandchildren? What about your cousin? What about your aunt? What about your uncle? What about your, you know, son's baby mama drama? What about those people? 
Everybody has connections to somebody. They ain't going if the trumpet blows right now. They ain't going with us. So even if your heart's okay, you better be concerned about those that ain't going to heaven with you one day too. Because this might be the only time you get to say hello because you might be saying goodbye for too much longer. But there might, I'm not stupid. In a crowd this size, there may be one in here today that says, oh, I really don't want to embarrass myself in front of people, but I know everybody thinks I'm a good person because I go to church and all this stuff. Oof. God should call today. Might be in trouble. I was blessing my spouse out last night or this morning. I was yelling at the kids last night and said something I shouldn't have said. I gave, I gave the right hand of fellowship out the window on the way to church this morning for getting cut off in traffic. Ooh, if God calls right now, it may be you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, two questions, I'm done. Question number one. Pastor, I'm not sure if God should come.